This week on Worldview, the BRICS summit in Johannesburg really ended with a bang, both multilaterally and bilaterally, that's between India and China. Will the Modi-Xi meeting make peace at the line of actual control? And what are the big messages that the BRICS expansion, taking in six more members, send out to the world? We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to become full members of BRICS. Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This week, we have a lot to unpack with all that happened at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg, South Africa. But let's just start with that big bilateral meeting that resulted in what seems to be some kind of bi a detent, a detente between India and China in South Africa. Prime Minister Modi met with Chinese President Xi Jinping on the sidelines of the BRICS summit uh, that was held on August 23rd, where leaders of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa held two plenary sessions. And we'll tell you about the BRICS's outcomes, as I said, in just a bit. But the meeting between Modi and Xi was revealed a day later by Foreign Secretary Vinay Quatra, briefing the media about the entire three-day event. Listen in. In a conversation with President Xi Jinping of China, Prime Minister highlighted India's concerns on the unresolved issues along the LAC in the western sector of the India-China border areas. Prime Minister underlined that the maintenance of peace and tranquility in the border areas and observing and respecting the LAC are essential for the normalization of the India-China relationship. In this regard, the two leaders agreed to direct their relevant officials to intensify efforts at expeditious disengagement and de-escalation. Now, of course, this was the first such conversation between the two leaders in three years. Since the April 2020 standoff began, Chinese transgressions at the LAC and then the Galwan killings. Last year, in 2022, they had spoken briefly at the Bali G20 uh, and held a short conversation about stabilizing the boundary, but that hadn't borne much fruit so far. Remember, prior to 2020, Modi and Xi had met 18 times in six years, so this was the real contrast. Now, first, in the run-up to the meeting in Johannesburg, Indian and Chinese border commanders had been meeting at Chushul Moldo at the LAC. And even after talks of the 19th round, as it was called, held on August 14th, did not succeed, um, the fact is the, the generals continued a conversation, um, a sort of informal conversation, and continued to discuss disengagement at standoff points, particularly in Depsang and in Demchok. Uh, indicating that there is already some political instruction to try and forge a breakthrough at this point. So the timing is important of the meeting in South Africa. Secondly, the detente comes just two and a half weeks before India's own G20 summit, where President Xi is invited, India says it hopes he will attend, and Modi and Xi are also invited to the East Asia summit in Jakarta, before that. That's on September 6th and 7th, and the G20 meeting is actually on uh, September 9th and 10th. 
Um, so that there are opportunities now to take the discussions um, on normalizing the LAC further, if they so wish. If the process goes smoothly from here, it will most resemble the resolution of the Doklam crisis in 2017, where remember Modi met she uh, and she met in Hamburg uh, and agreed in, in July of 2017, agreed to a disengagement. And then that process was completed by the time Prime Minister Modi traveled to China for the BRICS summit in September of 2017. Later, of course, in 2018, he also traveled to China for the informal, what is called the Wuhan summit there. However, it is significant that while the two sides are speaking about respecting the LAC, disengagement and de-escalation, that's what the Indian readout said, there is no mention of India's earlier stand uh, of reversing the situation to pre-April 2020 levels or what is called status quo ante. And it remains to be seen if the new normal that we are now seeing at the LAC with all these soldiers on both sides is really sustainable. So now let's turn to what else happened at the BRICS summit where there were a number of events over three days and let's just get you the outcomes one by one. The first of course the big one is the BRICS summit itself where BRICS leaders met over two plenary sessions, one closed door and another open session. Russian President Putin did not attend the summit in person owing to the fact that there is an international warrant issued against him. And of course, South Africa is an ICC country. So that warrant has been set out by the International Criminal Court uh, at The Hague. And this is, uh, and since South Africa is an ICC country, it would like to abide by those rules. So it, to avoid any kind of embarrassment to the guest or the host, uh, Mr. Putin and, uh, Mr. and Cyril Ramaphosa, the South African president, had a mutual agreement that he wouldn't come and that Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov will take his place. Now, this uh, BRICS was significant for a number of reasons. First, it was the first in-person summit since 2019 and COVID pandemic is the first time leaders were meeting since the Ukraine war began, so in person. And remember, all BRICS countries have chosen not to join Western sanctions on Russia since that time. Third, it's the first time since President Lula of Brazil was re-elected. And remember, he was a founder a decade ago. He was a founder leader of BRICS along with Putin, Xi, and then Indian Prime Minister Dr. Manmohan Singh. Uh, it's the fourth time since 2010 that the BRICS met in order to expand the, uh, the grouping. In 2010, the uh, BRIC, as it was called in those days, agreed to include South Africa. Uh, and the most important part, the next three G20 summits, including the one in Delhi next month, and then next year in Brazil, and after that in South Africa, will all be held in BRICS countries. Uh, another part of the BRICS summit was the BRICS retreat, where the leaders met together in one room, uh, but this was completely off limits to even uh, the closest principals as well as the media. Then there was a BRICS business forum where leaders attended for a short while. Prime Minister Modi actually made a push for resilient supply chains. Listen in. COVID-19 has resilient and inclusive supply chains. This is why we have of course, the, the reference to a mutual trust in the resilient supply chains is really meant for China, where India faced a lot of problems during the COVID pandemic in bringing in Chinese imports. 
Now, the other big uh, meeting was the BRICS Africa outreach with the BRICS plus countries as well. Remember, more than 70 countries were invited all across the Global South, including 55 African Union countries, uh, to uh, this BRICS summit to be part of this outreach. And of these, 40 countries have shown an interest in BRICS membership, and 22 of them have already sent in their applications. So then what happened to those applications? What are the big takeaways of the Johannesburg 2 BRICS declaration as it's known? And you can see the entire text on the MEA's website at the links given here. The first big takeaway is, of course, the induction of six new members. Effective January 1, 2024, certainly a dramatic development. How will the BRICS change now? with the new members from 2024 and what is the message that the BRICS is sending the world? Uh, we could see quite a few messages actually. The first, the doubling of BRICS from five countries to 11 countries in this rapid succession is an indicator that far from disintegrating or becoming irrelevant, BRICS members intend to double down on this coalition of emerging non-Western developing economies. It was first thought up in 2001, uh, the first summit in 2009, and now in 2023, it becomes 11 members. The second big message that BRICS is being pitched as a counter-Western grouping, uh, especially post-Ukraine war and global economic polarization due to the sanctions. And remember, none of the new members have joined sanctions against Russia. All of them continue to engage uh, countries like Iran more than the others. Third, while BRICS doesn't match the wealth of G7 countries, BRICS countries accounted for 32% of global GDP. This is against the G7's 30%, but they represent 40% of the world's population in comparison to the G7's 10% of the world population. And so you can see how the challenge between those two groupings is sizing up or isn't. Uh, the fourth big message, the induction of four major, what are called Middle East players, Egypt, Iran, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the UAE gives BRICS a major boost as these countries have often been at odds with each other and now they're coming together at one platform and of course the China brokered Saudi-Iran peace deal is one of the reasons for this development. The fifth, along with the new members, BRICS now includes six of the world's top 10 energy suppliers and this will give the grouping heft in a new direction and that is of energy. Uh, and the sixth message we could find was that including a new member from Africa and one from South America, so Argentina and Ethiopia, each makes BRICS a more representative coalition of the global south. And as a result, uh, a better vehicle, if you like, for global governance. That's what BRICS members say. Now, amongst the other outcomes, they also agreed on the guiding principles, standards, criteria and procedures of the BRICS expansion process of the future. This is important because remember I said there are already 22 who have applied, six of them have been accepted, uh, there, uh, there are as many as 40 who have shown interest in joining BRICS. So now the standards have been set for how you can join and of course India took the lead in that. The third was a big push for UN reforms. The statement perhaps for the first time in the recent past said BRICS countries support a comprehensive reform of the UN including its Security Council with a view to making it more democratic, representative, effective, etc. It also says that it uh, supports the aspirations of Brazil, India and South Africa to play a greater role in international affairs, in particular in the United Nations, including its Security Council. So remember, China that has always been shying away from endorsing India, 
was part of this BRICS statement. Of course, it has happened before. Fourth, while the leaders didn't speak about a BRICS currency, many had spoken about the de-dollarization and the BRICS currency that would come instead, but they are working on increasing intra-BRICS payments in national currencies that are not the dollar. Uh, in fact, the leaders agreed to task finance ministers or uh, central bank governors of their countries to present a report on payment mechanisms by the next summit looking at all of these alternative uh, national currency payments. Then they pushed for BRICS space cooperation, uh, particularly for remote sensing, satellite data sharing and applications. They already have a, a BRICS space grouping. Uh, but of course, the timing was important. All BRICS members commended India for the successful launch of Chandrayaan-3, Chandrayaan the first to explore the far side of the moon. And that, of course, occurred right on the day of the BRICS summit itself. And then all the BRICS leaders, and you can see it in the declaration, called for support for India's G20 summit coming up in two and a half weeks, where all BRICS members are uh, also members are invited and are expected to participate. So is it all good? Or what should India watch out for, given all the developments at the latest BRICS in Johannesburg? First, the rapid expansion of members is not something India wanted. And it could dilute the original purpose of the BRICS grouping, especially if the dilution and bringing in more members means that China takes a more dominant position in the grouping. So far, it has been a club of equals. But what happens next? The second, India is uncomfortable with BRICS becoming an anti-Western grouping, given its close ties with the US and with other Western countries, particularly in the strategic sphere. So any language that is seen as propaganda or an anti-Western rant would make India uncomfortable to be a part of. A third, while India, of course, welcomed the induction of Iran, Prime Minister Modi met with Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi, who thanked him for his support. The sanctions that Iran faces might make intra-BRICS trade even more difficult to grow. Remember, both Russia and Iran are now off the SWIFT system, and it is for this reason that India cut its oil imports from Iran some years ago. The fourth, tensions between Middle Eastern countries may now make BRICS more unwieldy to run, especially if Saudi Iran, Saudi UAE fault lines grow. And of course, there's always the worry about the India-China fault line as well. And fifth, as the BRICS, an economic grouping becomes more strategic and political, India might find its balancing act with the Quad, the SCO, and the IPEF that much more difficult. So what's worldviews take? The growth of BRICS from a grouping of ragtag, also rands that denoted the rise of the rest, uh, as opposed to the more elite and exclusive G7 club, is definitely a welcome development that would aim to democratize global governance groupings. For India, that still aims to keep its feet in both boats, however, it is important to ensure that BRICS does not lose its intrinsic value as a forum for emerging economies into a platform for anti-Western statements reduced to a talk shop as the non-aligned movement once did. So let's get you some reading recommendations and I'll be uh, honest with you, it isn't that easy to find books about BRICS, and most of them are very academic and a little dense uh, to understand. So I'll get you a few of them. Uh, and of course, we'll keep updating that list. Uh, you can start with The BRICS. It's a VSI series or very short introduction series brought out. And this is written by Andrew Cooper. There's another book in 2015 that came out called BRICS, an anti-capitalist critique. Uh, edited by Patrick Bond and Anna Garcia. Delightful essays in this one. 
Uh, there's one called Bricks in Global Governance, edited by John Curton and Marina Marionova, uh, that really looks at uh, each of the countries in the BRICS and how they work together. Uh, then there is something called the BRICS New Development Bank. Of course, the NDB, we didn't have time to speak about this in this episode of Worldview, but in a previous episode of Worldview, we did look at the history of BRICS and all it has uh, produced. So the New Development Bank is, of course, one of its big achievements. And this book is called A Game Changer for the Emerging Economies by A.N. Sarkar. And if you're economically inclined, an important book to read. The fifth one is called Building Bridges Among the Bricks, very much like that previous book I wrote about. Uh, it's, this one is edited again by Robert Crane. And then this new one, which I haven't actually seen. There's a Kindle edition online, but it seems uh, just from reading through the beginnings of it, a very important look and it's brand new. It's called uh, Brick on Bricks, The New World Order Dies, EU and the Fate of the New World Order. So it's obviously meant to be a bit provocative and it certainly should be an easy read since it's available on Kindle. Uh, and finally, this book by a German scholar, a little more dense, The US Dollar and the BRICS Challenge, Heading Towards a New Global Financial Order. So everything that you read about the BRICS is really about can it be a challenge to the old world order, particularly when it comes to the dollar-run multilateral banking order as well. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Worldview. If you do, do press like. Also, subscribe to the Hindu's YouTube channel and join us again here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.